Hi, and welcome to Church at the Bridge. Thank you for tuning in to our weekly sermon podcast. This is week two of our sermon series, Flying High. Today's message is titled, Position for Life. We hope you enjoy the word. Amen. Good morning. You guys up? You sure? Yeah? Good. Awesome. Well, listen, for those of you that don't know me, I'm Pastor Jose. I'm the lead pastor here at Church of the Bridge, and it is truly exciting to have you all here. Our hope is that today the Word of God will minister to you. Notice what I said, the Word of God. Not me, the Word of God. Our prayer is that the Word of God would speak to you directly, and that you'd have a personal encounter with God through the truth that He reveals in His Word. So, since last week we started a new series entitled Flying High. Flying High. Uh, I know some of you are afraid of heights, right? Some of you are like, yeah, I'd rather just stay on a boat, right? Stay in a car. That's all right. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is the design that God has for you and I, for all people. And it's that we would soar in life, that we would fly high. And we've been looking at the book of a guy named Nehemiah. It's Nehemiah writing his account of how God called him to something great and how God worked it out. How God brought all the details together. And so what we're learning is that God has designed us for a purpose. And he really does have great things for you. Go ahead and tell somebody, God's got something good for me. Tell somebody else, God has something great for me. Oh, see, some of you actually believe that. The inflection of your voice was a little bit stronger. That's awesome. Now listen. Uh, What we're really doing here is looking to the Word and looking at practical truths, applicable steps from the Word of God as to how we go about doing this. Now listen, I'm going to be transparent with you. If you're like me, you just want A, B, C, and D, and you'll figure out E, right? Just tell me how to do it. That's how I am. But the truth is that I can't tell you what the vision is that God has for your life. It's not my place to give you that. But what we can do is give you tools from the Word of God that help you in discovering and realizing that so that you not only see the vision that God has for you, but that you'll live life with purpose, on purpose. Is that all right? And so last week we learned that vision from God begins with the discovery that you're a solution waiting to happen. We were looking at the story of Nehemiah, and what we saw was that Nehemiah was a cupbearer. He was in service to the king of uh, Babylon, a guy named Artaxerxes, and he was he was in service to this gentleman. And great, get this guy's job. He had the coolest job. He was a cupbearer. You know what that means? His job was that he drank everything that the king was about to drink before he drank it. Why? To make sure that it wasn't poison. How's that for a promotion, right? But so this guy uh, was a Jewish. Um, captive under the dominion of this empire of Babylon, and he worked in service to the king. And you would think, you know, you're stuck. This is what life, this is the, the hand that life dealt you, and so this is what you do. But Nehemiah gets wind of what's happening amongst the people of Israel. And when he hears about the people of Israel, he also hears about the walls that surrounded Israel. He hears about about the temple, and what he gets wind of is that it's all destroyed. And that the people in their hearts, in their minds, in their vision, that they're destroyed. That there's not even worship unto God anymore. And Nehemiah realizes there's a problem. The thing is that nobody else was aware of it. 
nobody else had a passion, the passion that was burning in his heart. And what Nehemiah realized was that God was calling him to do something. And so last week we learned that you're a solution waiting to happen. See, there are things that only you will see that no one else sees. And when you get a hold of that vision and you begin to nurse it and you begin to go before the Lord and he begins to nurture it, you'll begin to discover that God created you to be the solution. The solution to bring a piece to the puzzle that brings it all together and brings about the vision that God has not just for your life, but in the lives of people in a world in need. Amen? And so look, everything that God created was created to solve something, to bring light to a bigger picture than ourselves. I want to encourage you, if you haven't listened to it, or if you heard it and you want to go back to it, get the app, go to the website, go on our Facebook, listen to last week's sermon. I promise it will bless you. I promise it will encourage you. I promise it will begin to reveal something to you. But today we're going to pick up where we left off in the book of Nehemiah. And today's text leads us to one main point. This is what we're going to center around today. I just want to kind of just put it out there for you. And I want to make this statement to you that you are positioned for life. You are in position. You are positioned. God created you to be at a specific place at a specific time doing something specific. But you got to realize what's going on around you and the position that you're called to to realize what God wants to do. Does that make sense? So it reminds me of a, 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 an anecdotal story I read a while back. And it says that there's a story about this guy named Jimmy Durant. I have no clue who this guy is. It's way before my time. But from what I read, this guy was one of the great entertainers of his time. He was a pianist. He was an actor. He was a comedian. He was a composer. He was a singer. This guy was a one-man show. And he, he performed these monologues and do all this stuff. And so he was asked to be a part of a show for World War II veterans back in his day. And he told them that his schedule was very, very busy, that he was booked, that he could literally only spare a few minutes. But if they wouldn't mind his doing one short monologue and then immediately allowing him to leave for his next appointment, he would come. And so, of course, the show's director happily agreed. But when Jimmy got on stage, something interesting happened. You see, uh, he went through the short monologue, and then he stayed. The applause grew louder and louder, and he kept staying. And pretty soon, he had been on 15, 20, then 30 minutes. Finally, he took his last bow and left the stage. When he was approaching the backstage, someone stopped him and said, I thought you had to go after a few minutes. What happened? And Jimmy answered, I did have to go, but I can show you the reason why I stayed. You can see for yourself if you'll look down on the front row. In the front row were two men, each of whom had lost an arm in the war. One had lost his right arm, and the other had lost his left arm. Together, they were able to clap. And that's exactly what they were doing, loudly and cheerfully. I'll tell you why I share that, that anecdotal uh, story with you. It's because like these men, there is something that someone, somewhere, at some time is lacking. Sometimes we're the one lacking it. And when you find yourself in position where God has called you to be, when you are pursuing the vision and purposes that God has revealed to you, 
revealed to you through his word, confirmed to you by his spirit, open doors of opportunity. When you are there, when you are positioned, what you will see is that the resources that you lack will show up. They'll show up. You're positioned for life. You really are. So often, if we're not careful as people, we can look at life through the deficiencies that we perceive in our situation. We can miss what and who God has placed amongst us to bring about a greater good. We can also miss that God placed us to complement another to bring about a greater good. And so as we get started here today, I want to encourage you to open your hearts. I want to open you to, uh, I want to encourage you to open your mind and your understanding so that you can see what God is trying to show us through his word, as we'll see in a minute. It's that God has you positioned. His position is firm. His position is secure. Anybody in Christ, you're in position. You're in position. You know what happens sometimes? We deviate from that understanding and we find ourselves out of position. But here's the great thing, that we have the Holy Spirit who gently and lovingly always redirects us and leads us according to truth and shows us things to come, right? And so, look, there, there may be someone here today that maybe you've, you've struggled with some loss. Maybe you've, you, you, your trajectory up until this point has been a difficult one. Maybe you, you might find yourself living amongst some shambles. Hey, Nehemiah did too, as we'll see in a second. To you, I say that that is not God's purpose for your life. Let me also say to you that God did not lead you to those shambles. He didn't create the mess. He didn't create the mess. And let me encourage you with something from Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 29 before we dig in. And it says this. It says, and we know that in all things, how many things? In all things, right? It says, and we know that in all things God works, watch this, for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Here's the, here's the beautiful thing about this gospel, that God knows each and every one of us by name. The Bible says that he knows the numbers, the hairs that are numbered on our head. When it says that, it's talking about each and every one. God doesn't have much to work with with my head. But you can understand that he, he can, you, you get where I'm coming from, right? He knows number one from number 3,030, right? So God knows you and he's called you according to his purpose. And if you can believe that, then you can rest in the hope that even in the hardships that you might find yourself in at this moment or that you've been through, that God will work it out. He'll lead you to a place called good. Gooder, better, and betterer. You'll get there, right? Hey, Ur makes a big difference, right? So last week as we were, uh, we started in the book of Nehemiah, we looked at chapters 1 and chapter 2, and, and as I was stating before, Nehemiah hears that there's a problem. Nehemiah hears of the destruction. Nehemiah hears that there's no worship unto God. Nehemiah hears that the people have settled uh, for rubble, for ruin, for, for, for hardship, uh, for, to, to be enslaved to this empire, and that they had uh, settled into a life of disarray and lack. And that there was a problem. And Nehemiah was the only one that saw it. But it was more than that. Nehemiah didn't just see the problem. How many of us know we all see problems, right? 
Some of us are real good at identifying what the problem is, right? But not everyone has a heart to do something about it. That's where a vision from God begins. That's where you begin to see the path that God is leading you on. And so Nehemiah, something begins to burst in his heart. And Nehemiah realizes, i got to do something about this. It drives him to tears. He's burdened. And, And for four months, as we saw last week, Nehemiah went into this continual mode of prayer. But what we also see is that he was prepared when he found himself before the king because there was a plan that had been burst in his heart. And so there was something happening there. And when Nehemiah finally gets to the king, he's met with favor. This king, mind you, this king's father is the one who destroyed all Jerusalem. This is part of this king's story part of their glory that they conquered and Nehemiah finds himself before this king and when he's before this king he says, oh king live forever. He says how could I not be sad when the walls of my hometown when my people are destroyed and the king asks him a question he says what do you want me to do? That's a God moment right there and Nehemiah unveils this plan before the king, and the king says to him, okay, go do it. Now, you got to get this. He says, oh, king, I need letters that give me permission in every town, give me safe passage in every town. And he says, okay, no problem. I'll also give, he says, also give me a contingent of of some of your men, some of your best men to, to go along with me. And the king goes, okay. And he goes, oh, and by the way, could you give me a letter so that when I get to Asaph, the keeper of all the materials in the kingdom, that he would give me wood. He says, okay. He goes, and by the way, can I get some extra wood from my house? And the king goes, okay, right? And give me letters so that all the governors will, uh, will, will understand that you're behind me on this. And he goes, okay, I'll do that too. That's favor from God. And so Nehemiah has all this good stuff going on, right? He's got protection, For the journey, he has authority backed by the king. He's appointed to rebuild Jerusalem. He's given provision. He has all this. Let's pick up in uh, chapter 2 of Nehemiah, uh, verses 10 through 20. Uh, This is where we left off last week. Now watch this. He's there. He's gotten there, right? He shows up with this huge army of officers and a cavalry. And verse 10 says that when Sambalit, the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Here's what it's simply saying. These guys were, their feathers were ruffled. They They were indignant. They could not believe that someone would come and dare say, that they're going to rebuild and raise up once again the people of God, right? And so verse 11 goes on to say, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. 
Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. Get this picture. The destruction is so great that Nehemiah is on his animal, right? Could have been a horse for all we know. And he's coming through, and it's so, it's so bad that he can't even fit through the rubble, right? Let's go to verse 15. It says, so I went up the valley by night examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because as yet I had not said, I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. He says, come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. And so they began this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this they are, that you are doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. So let's dig into this a little bit. As we see, there's a problem. No one else saw it besides Nehemiah. He has a heart to do something about it. He's got all this backing, and he shows up. Now, take time to appreciate what's actually happening here. Nehemiah shows up with an army. Nehemiah shows up with letters of authority. Nehemiah shows up with building material. And you would think that the Israelites, the people of God, would go, hooray, let's celebrate. You would think that somebody would go, man, let me get behind this great vision of God. And what we see is that when Nehemiah gets there, what he finds is that no one is with him. No one is with him. It would seem that while he has the materials to do this, while he has the heart and the passion, while he has the call of God, it would seem that he has no ability to pull this off. See, Nehemiah had great aspirations from God to do something life-changing, but no one was excited about it. And he had no one that was willing to help him accomplish it, or so it seemed. Let me just pause right there for a moment. See, I, I want to assure you that there, you're gonna, if you haven't had it already, you will find yourself at a place at some point in this trajectory, in this journey of following Jesus, where God will begin to birth something in you. There are some of you that you've given up on that. It's possible that there are some ministries here that were never birthed. And, and, and I'm going to tell you, and we're going to be digging into this more next week, so you don't want to miss next week. Be here next week, right? But what I believe that what, what happens is that we, we, we have this great vision that God gives us, and we believe it. And we want everybody else to be excited about it. After all, if God, if this is God's plan, then surely everybody's going to rejoice 
Can I tell you from personal experience, you're crazy if you think that. I've been there. I can relate. Trust me, when God calls you, it's not going to make much sense to many people. As a matter of fact, it'll seem like it's so huge that you can't do it. And people will go, well, how are you going to do this? And how are you going to do that? I remember yesterday during our, our day at the lake uh, outing, uh, there was a gentleman there, a family member to someone that comes here. And uh, we used to do something back in the day when we first started back in the days. It's just five years ago. It's not back in the day. It's not back in the days. Five years ago, a little over five years ago. When we first started, right, we used to do something that we called bridge mixers. We, we got to get back to that. Um, they were great. Uh, th- what it was is we would just gather together in different uh, venues. It could have been a home or whatever. And, and we would gather together. And what we would encourage people to do is bring a friend. Bring somebody that you know. Bring somebody that doesn't know Jesus. Right? And, and we would gather together and we'd eat food and we'd play games and we'd have a good time. And then they would, they w- I would take a moment just to just share the word. Share vision. Right? Share, share what God was doing what God's word revealed. And I remember one of these, uh, this was actually the first bridge mixer we ever did. It was at a home of one of, our, one of the people that comes here, a few people that come here actually. And we were there and I was sharing what God had shown me about our call to the city and, and, and beyond and, and all that. And this particular gentleman says to me, he says, you know, Newburgh, I've seen Newburgh for over 40 years. And he said to me, I don't know that you want to go to Newburgh, Pastor. I mean, with all due respect, you know, I know you said God, but, but you got to understand this is Newburgh. And I said, sir, I told him, in five years, here's what you'll see in Newburgh. You will see the beginnings of revitalization. You will see us as a ministry that is involved in our community, that is trusted and respected, that is active you will see us growing and vibrant. You will see diversity. And I, and I just began to say all these things. And well, yesterday we're sitting there and we're talking. He goes, man, this is Jose, man. This is amazing, man. And, and yeah, I was just at the church a couple of weeks ago. I got invited and I went. And I was just looking around. I was like, oh, my God. And, you know, what? and I said, do you remember a conversation we had about five and a half years ago? And he looked at me. And he says, I remember. He says, you want me to tell you what the next five years hold? Can I tell you something? That when you have a vision from God, it doesn't matter what anybody else says around you. You just have to know it's God. That's all you need, right? I, it reminds me of a, 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 a friend of mine. Uh, he, he had this idea. You ever did one of those science fairs when you were a kid? You know, like you got all excited about a project. I always did the volcano project. I did that every year in elementary school, and it was always a flop for me because the lava, it was just cheesy. And my mother did her best, you know, and whatever. We did the food color. Anyway, that's, that's besides the point. So this friend of mine, uh, I remember him sharing with me that he came up with this idea of having a broom that has some sort of spray uh, uh, nozzle on it that would spray water as you broomed, right? Right? Or as you, you, you cleaned. And so he, uh, 
he, he was telling me that he put a lot of work into it. He was a little kid. He was in elementary school. He put a lot of work into it. He had his dad get involved in it. He had other people. And, and, and he says, man, you know, this, this, nobody's ever thought of this. And he shows up to a science fair, and it was a flop in everybody else's eyes. It was a flop. He actually believed he was onto something, right? And so he tried to talk to people. He tried to talk to teachers. He tried to talk to people in business. And this is a little kid approaching people talking about, I got this business idea, right? And everybody's blowing him off. Oh, that's the stupidest thing. It won't work, right? So 20, 30 years later, he sees a commercial. And you know what it was? A Swiffer. And he says, I thought of that. Tell you why I share that with you because he had a vision and he was in position, but he didn't know how to access the right people. He was talking to the wrong people. He wasn't he wasn't accessing the right information, the right way to see it through. He had a great idea, he just wasn't surrounded by a great support system. And Nehemiah found himself in a similar position. Maybe you find yourself in that similar position. Maybe you feel like, you know, man, I've, I really feel that this is what God has for my life. And you feel like you don't have the, the support system. You feel like when you share with people that they, they look at you like you're crazy. Like it just doesn't make sense. Like it won't happen. But you see, when you know it's God, like Nehemiah did, he had a great vision. And seemingly, he stood alone. And the task was great. As a matter of fact, it was too great. To most people, it's understandable how anyone could get to a place where you could where you could feel intimidated and say it's too big, it's not possible. You might even feel alone. But the thing about it is that, as we see here, Nehemiah did not let that stop him. And I want to say something personally to each and every one of us: whether you believe in Jesus or not, don't let that stop you, because God is calling you to something greater. I love what uh, happens in verse 16. So remember, Nehemiah shows up. He's got all this material. He's got an army, all this other stuff. But he's got no help. Verse 16 says that the officials did not know where I had gone. This is Nehemiah talking about when he was going, uh, inspecting the walls. He says, the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. Because as yet, I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or officials. Watch this. Or any others who would be doing the work. So you got to get what just happened here. Instead of freezing with fear in the face of a great vision, Nehemiah knew something that we would be wise to meditate upon, to investigate, and to seek out. And it's this. He understood that what God originates, God orchestrates. I want you to understand this, that if it's God, don't rack your brains with the details of how. Take it from me. I've been there. How, God? How? Right? Nehemiah came with a vision, but he had no help upon his arrival. And he lacked details to the problem at hand. And so he goes and he investigates the wall. And as he begins to assess the problem, he begins to see clearly what it will take. And then all of a sudden, his eyes are open, and he realizes, right here amongst ruins, these people are the ones that God has positioned around me 
and that I've been positioned to lead. Listen, just know this, that when God positions you, it won't make sense. It won't make sense. Many times you'll feel alone. Many times you'll feel like that general that goes, Charge! Right? I remember when, when, but here's the thing, that in the midst of this, God was orchestrating a miracle. God was raising up a people who had given up on God. This wasn't just about building walls, ladies and gentlemen. This was about building people. Get this. The vision that God has for your life is not just for little old you. It always entails someone else. Remember, you're a solution waiting to happen. You bring something to the table that's lacking somewhere at some time. And so I remember when we started, right, I was sharing with you how I had this conversation with that gentleman. And, uh, and I remember asking myself all types of questions when we started. I remember one of the first questions we asked ourselves, what did we just do? What did we just do? I remember asking God, well, God, how are we going to fund this? Get where I went wrong. How are we going to fund this? <laughs> God, how are we going to do this? Right? God, how are we going to build this? And, you know, I just, I just had a little flashback here to, to one, of our, one of the women here, Sandra. Um, so she shows up the very first service at our house. Mind you, we did no advertising. The living room, our couches was the sanctuary. The flat screen was where we put the scriptures and, you know, and, we, and my son was on acoustic. My daughter would sing. The kitchen counter, uh, the island was the cafe. Um, yeah, the sink, all that. My son's room, because he was away in college, he would drive down every weekend. Um, it, his room was our bridge kids department, and we said, this is it. Right, and the public restroom was the first floor bathroom, the half bath, right? And I remember saying, God, how how is this gonna work? How are we gonna do this? How, how do how do we grow the God? I I don't know what I'm doing here. How how does this work? And I remember Sandra coming the next weekend. She arrived a little bit early. You know what she did? She began to put together the coffee cups together whatever pastries it was, whatever, and she began to, she said, no, 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 Pastor, I got it. And I remember when I saw her doing that and looking around because people were arriving and it was, we were like, the first week was something like 12, the next week was maybe somewhere around 20-ish, maybe a little bit under that. But I remember as she was setting up, having this thought, and I believe it was the Holy Spirit reminding me when Moses found himself with his father-in-law, Jethro, and his father-in-law says to him, Moses, you're working yourself to death. He says, this is not good. You're going to overwhelm the people. You're going to wear them down. Then he says to them, appoint to them, appoint over them those captains of ten, fifty, hundreds, and thousands. And when I, when, I remember, when I remember that scripture, here's what I saw. Lord, we have more than ten here. We have help. not called to do this alone. We're not called to do this alone. See, 
God positioned us to succeed. God has positioned you to succeed. But we have to open our spiritual eyes and we have to take note that God wants to place us in the exact position that we need to be. And that comes as we begin to seek God. It reminds me of this guy named Peter who found himself in a similar situation. This guy Peter, it was tax collection time. Nobody likes tax collection. I could see that, right? The tax, it's, it's taxes are due, right? And Peter goes to Jesus and he doesn't have the taxes and the tax collector comes around. And so he mentions it to Jesus and Jesus uses it as an opportunity to teach him a valuable life principle. One that would bless us as well if we would just lean into it. Matthew 17, 27, Jesus responds to him and says, but so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake and throw out your line. Watch this. Take the first fish that you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my taxes and yours. Watch this. God says, you say, God, how? And he says, go over to this little city. Go over to this place that I'm leading you to. Go take a step in that direction towards that business that's innovative. Go do this. And you go, what? Think about this. Jesus, Peter's saying, we need to pay taxes. And Jesus says, go catch a fish. And the first one that you catch, you'll find the money there. Now, some of you are so spiritually high. You're way up there. But for me, I would be like, Really, Jesus? A fish? In the mouth of a fish? What's my point with that? My point with that is simply this, that as long as you're positioned where God calls you to and you go there, you will always find the resources available to you that you need to accomplish what God has created you for. You've heard the old adage, right, where God guides us. That was weak. Okay. All right, this is the new believer service, got it. Okay, I, I, I get it, I get it. No, you, 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 there's this saying where God guides, he provides. And so look, like Peter, you have to be willing to go where God leads. You got to go there. It doesn't have to make sense to people. You don't have to explain to anyone what you feel God is leading you to. You really don't. Can I say this with a smile? You know, I love you, right? Who cares what anybody else has to say? God said. That makes sense? And so, look, for Peter, it was stored up in the mouth of a fish. For you, it might be stored up in an introduction to someone. It might be stored up right here amongst people in the body of Christ. It might be stored up in places that you never thought of, with people that you never thought would be a part of your assignment. But let God lead you. Go there. You know, a question that naturally comes up when it comes to following the vision that God has for your life and for mine is the issue of what if it doesn't work? You, know, you ever been there? Well, what, what if it doesn't work? And you know what we're really saying when we, when we ask that question? What we're really saying is this. What if I don't succeed? Let me just interject something here for a moment about success. Look at verse 18 in Nehemiah chapter 2. It says, I also, now mind you, they've just told him, what, you think you're going to raise up these walls? 
right? You think you're going to succeed here? Nehemiah responds, he says, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. Watch this. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Let me ask you a question. When did the, their success begin? For some of us, we would look at it from a net, from a from kind of a layman's point of view, and we would say, you know what? Their success occurred when they finished the wall, right? For some of us, we you'd say that their success was when they got halfway through the wall, if you know the story. But let me say something to you: that success is not a destination point. It's not the place or the point of completion when the task is finished. And the reason why that's important is because God will call you to something, and here's when you are most successful. Here's when you reach the pinnacle of success, when you say yes to God. It's not when you arrive, because guess what? According to Scripture, yeah, none of us arrive. The Bible says we know in part. But then we'll know just as, you know, we've, we've been made known to him as he knows us. So my point with that is this, that listen, your greatest point of success in the vision that God has for your life is the moment you say yes. From that point forward, you succeed, you will find success. Listen, before David was a successful king, he was successful as he worshiped God and faithfully tended to sheep. Listen. Before Joseph was ever successful as the ruler in Egypt, he was successful because he believed in God's dream and he refused to waver in his conviction to honor God. No matter what came his way, Joseph did what was right and he served with excellence. And listen, before Jesus was ever successful in his public ministry, before anybody ever heard of Jesus, we have one verse uh, one, a couple of verses that reveal this to us, that Jesus lived in submission to his parents. See, success isn't the point when you arrive. Success is the point when you say yes. It doesn't matter if it's seen or unseen. For some of us, if I could just, you know, ruffle some feathers here, and you know I love you, so don't take it personal, but if the shoe fits, change it. Don't wear it, change it. Listen, for some of us, we want everybody to know. We want everybody to celebrate what God has called us to. We're seeking that. We crave that. And when we don't get it, we get disappointed. Can I tell you that what we're really saying at that moment is what's more important is what you say than what God says? That's a, that's a dangerous place to be in. And so what are some lessons that we can learn from Nehemiah here as we pursue a vision, as you begin to discover what God has for you, as you begin to see Christ and see yourself in that and something begins to get birthed in you? The first thing I want to leave you with here as we're closing up is this, that pursuing a vision from God requires investigation. I'll tell you what I mean by that. Nehemiah had a vision from God to restore the walls of Jerusalem. He knew that they were destroyed, but he had to go to see them to get the details to the plan. You know what's interesting? That it isn't until you step out where God's calling you that you begin to see the details to the plan. 
You won't, you won't see them until you step out. You won't get that far. You, you can only go as far as you're willing to follow God. In Luke 14, verses 28 through 30, Jesus says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. See, you have to assess what you commit to so you can commit to completing it. You got to get this. God calls us to a complete, a full life. But we have to do our part and respond with yes. And when we do so, we have to take steps and see what God has. Think about this. You'll never see what God is saying unless you step out in faith. It takes faith, ladies and gentlemen. I know for some of us, the next step is unclear. I know it doesn't make sense. I know you're frustrated, been there, done that, lived it. I did it well. But guess what? As you take steps with God, here's what you'll find. The information and details to the plan. It's worth pursuing it. Listen, pursuing a vision from God requires seeing his resources. Listen, God doesn't call anyone to do anything full of purpose without resources. The moment you go with God's vision for your life and investigate the details, the next steps become clearer. Check this out. Moses said, God tells him, I'm calling you to deliver the people. You're going to perform these great miracles. Sounds great, right? Sounds awesome. Yes, I want to do that with God. He does that. They get delivered from the Egyptians, and now they're leaving, and they get to this Red Sea, and the people are crying, and Moses goes, God, what are we going to do? And God says, Moses, what's in your hand? What resource have I already placed amongst you? As I said, when Nehemiah showed up, he had material, he had an army, he, had, he even had authority, but he didn't have the people to pull it together. And it wasn't until he opened his eyes. He's walking amongst people who are discouraged. Amongst people who have settled for life amongst rubble. For people who have gotten to a place where, man, we're not even looking to God. And right there, when he shows up there, Nehemiah realizes there's a move of God happening right here. Right here. Right now. In this moment. Right now in this moment. And so it wasn't until he opened his eyes and saw the resources that God placed before him. The people. And he sought them. That the vision began to take shape. Think about this. In the beginning of all creation... God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were working together. And they conceived this great vision, creation. And God creates everything, and he calls it good. And the first time that we see in the Bible that God says that something wasn't good is when he looked at Adam. Genesis 2.18 says this, The Lord God said it is not good for the man to be alone says, I will make him a helper suitable for him. 
Let me tell you what God saw there. While Adam is power packed, he's called, he's been placed on the earth to rule and to reign in life just like me. Here's what God said. He needs someone else. You know what that tells us? That it is not good for us to believe that God calls us to a vision alone. Can't do it alone. You know, I thank God, man. Every week, week in, week out, I walk into this place throughout the week. And I remember those moments where I would say, God, how? God, who? God, what? And look, if you're like me, a regular Joe Schmo, you'll look for the details that you can complain about. You'll look for that which doesn't work. But every week and week out, I walk in here, man, and I look at the volunteers that show up. I look at the people and what God is doing in your lives, and I say, God, this was all your plan. You're the one building your people. All you told us was you, you teach them the word. You equip people with truth, and the people will build the body. The people will build the church. The people will minister healing. The people will minister truth. The people will raise up the dead to life. Listen, this is how this gospel works. This is how the vision that God has for your life works. It's not alone. It's with the resources that he's placed among you. And my last point here that I want to leave you with is this, that pursuing a vision from God requires conviction. Listen, Nehemiah not only faced the destruction of the walls, he had to face the destruction of hope in the people and the enemies that withstood him. There was a lot against him. See, if you're not convinced in what God is showing you, then guess what? No matter how great the vision is and how true it is from God, you won't do it. Do you know how many unfulfilled visions lie behind a headstone? You know, I don't know about you, but for me, I want that little dash between my birth year and my last year on this earth to mean more than anything that's on that headstone. I want to max out in life. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I want, I, man, I want to go the distance. And look, to do that, you've got to be convinced. You've got to live with conviction that God has led you, that God has called you, and that you can do it. See, Vision without conviction only leads to destruction. You will wreck your life. Not God. You will wreck your life and invite all the deception of the enemy if you do not live with a conviction and a resolute spirit, a determination to go the distance with what God has called you to do. James 1, 6 and 8 says this, but when you ask, you must believe. You must what? Believe and not doubt. 
Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything.